Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 1. We are continuing in the gospel at verse 21 from last week. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again for your word. Help us be open to it this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and to our minds and change us, God. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. My youngest child, who is five, he loves his iPad. Loves, loves, loves his iPad. But like most children who are five, there were two issues with it. One, he rarely would plug it in. So it was dead most of the time. Which you know how frustrating that can be when the five-year-old finally gets the iPad and can't turn it on. But number two, if he ever saw a cable, he was obsessed with plugging it in. And then taking that cable from you. And so we're losing cables all the time. So finally, in my infinite wisdom, I came up with a plan. I got him a special gift. It was a room plug for his iPad. I brought it home. I gave it to him. He got to put it in his room, plug it in, put the, the cable, and then plug his own iPad in. And I said, now this is what you need to do. Every night, before you go to bed, you plug that iPad in. And then it will be charged for you the next day. And we'll know where it is. It backfired, but not in the way you may think. That child will not unplug his iPad. He wants it charged all the time. And we will say, buddy, it's fully charged. No, leave it plugged in. It's charging. Like, do you want to use it? It's charging. And I mean, literally, since that point, he has almost not used his iPad at all. Sometimes to our frustration, we're like, we need a break. Go play on your iPad. No. He won't do it. Or he'll go up to his room for a couple of minutes with it still plugged in, play on it a little bit, and then come down. And then ask us about a million times, is my iPad charged? Is it fully charged? Is your iPad charged? <laughs> he is now obsessed with charging iPads. It is fully charged. And it is doing it absolutely no good. That is not, it's like a really expensive paperweight right now. Um, except paperweights at least hold something down. Um, it is just sitting there, ready, but not doing anything. 
And I thought about that and I thought, that is what faith sometimes feels like. Sunday morning is like coming and, and recharging. Um, it's hearing God's word and it's singing praise and it's, it's getting ready. And yet so often, this is what I feel like for myself. My faith doesn't seem to make a giant impact in my life. It's like I'm ready, but maybe nothing's happening. It's not going anywhere. And what I want to talk about this morning through this passage where Jesus goes into Capernaum and into the synagogue is two basic things. Number one, how do we know if our faith is impacting our life? And we see something in here that helps us see that. And then number two, if you hear this and you think, I don't know that my faith is really doing a lot, but I want it to. What do we do? What are those steps? That's what's in this passage. So open your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. If you're in the Pew Bibles, you will find that on page 1425. 1425. The first thing we're going to look at is the fact that people respond to the teaching of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. All right, here's a little bit of background. They are not far from Capernaum from the last place they were. It's inland a little bit from the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is also the place that Jesus will end up moving his base of operations. If you go to Capernaum today, the synagogue he went into, you can walk on the floor of that synagogue. It's been rebuilt a number of times, but the floor is still from the first century. So you can walk on the floor that Jesus walked on. Um, you can also go to where Peter's house might have been. It's been marked for a very long time as Peter's house. That's where they go, to Capernaum. And then it's the Sabbath, so he goes into the synagogue, which would be the normal time. It's like Sunday church. All right, so he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to teach. And this is what happens. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. All right, the first group, the people there, their response to the teaching of Jesus the word says amazed, and it carries the idea of being shocked. Being like, wow, I can't hardly believe my ears. Being challenged in such a way that you can't stop listening. That's what this word is. They are hearing the teaching of Jesus, and it's like their mouth drops to the floor. They are responding to him. And as he does this, not only are the people doing this, Verse 23, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Even the demons respond. If you go through the scriptures, you will see over and over and over and over again when Jesus teaches, people respond. And it doesn't matter who they are. So in my family... Um, I have two superhero gifts. One of them I've shared with you at one point. I am finder guy. 
If anything is lost in our home, I can find it. Sometimes I think I should have been a PI instead of a priest, but you guys are stuck with me. My second gift, I am also a white noise guy. We have a large family. There are six people in our family. There are three animals in our family. There are times where I just completely tune them all out. I am absolutely in my own world. They are talking. Conversation is going on. And this is what will happen. Often it's when I'm in the kitchen or sometimes when I'm driving. And I'm just like, I, I can't listen to all this. So I just go into dad world. And they're gone. And then I will hear breaking into my silence. Sweetheart, what do you think of that? And I look back at my wife, blankly, and she goes, oh, dad was not here. <laughs> nope, dad was not here. Dad was in white noise world somewhere, ignoring all of you. Um, nobody is ever in white noise world with Jesus. They're either amazed by his teaching, they are, like, some of them, he starts teaching, and they, he, like, starts the first megachurch. Because everybody follows him everywhere he goes. Some people want to make him king. Some people, they're so disgusted by him that they want to either make him screw up or they want to kill him. Even leaders, civic and religious, even Pilate gets to the end and he's like, what are you guys doing? Why would you want to crucify this man? And he washes his hands to say, I have nothing to do with this. Everybody responds to the teaching of Jesus. He is so compelling, so genuine. There's such an authority as he talks that there is never white noise. I'm going to give you one example. I'm going to take you through briefly somebody's story. There's a religious leader. His name is Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And he comes to Jesus. He comes to him at night. And that may be either because he's secretly interested it might be because he really sees the fire starting and he wants to stamp it out before it gets too big. We don't really know his motivation. But we know he comes to Jesus. And Jesus, in talking to this man, does not pull any punches. He is challenging to Nicodemus. He speaks the truth. He does what Jesus does when Jesus teaches. Here's the first account. Nicodemus shows up and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, how can someone be born when they are old? I don't quite understand this. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Nicodemus, how can this be? He's still like, I, I, what is this teaching? You are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Again, he does not pull punches. He keeps going. And so this is the encounter, except this isn't the only time it happens. Later on, as Jesus is doing ministry and he's going through and he's teaching and he's doing all of this stuff, something else happens. Um, a man gets healed and the Pharisees are discussing it 
And the Pharisees say, um, this guy replies, no one ever spoke the way this man does. You mean he's deceived you as well, the Pharisees say to to the guards. Um, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob, this crowd out here, they know nothing of law. There's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was the one, one of their own number, he asked this question. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They ask, are you a Galilean too? And then finally, the very end of John, something happens that shows you how far the teaching of Nicodemus has impact. Sorry, the teaching of Jesus has impacted Nicodemus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. That's the final star right there. His group, they have condemned Jesus to death. When he makes this decision right here, there's no turning back. But here's the point. He heard the teaching of Jesus And it could not help but impact his life. And it ultimately made him turn from being a Pharisee to being a believer in Jesus. Jesus' teaching always impacted. It was never white noise. So, here's my question for us. And I want you to hear the tense. Is the teaching of Jesus changing your life. I don't mean did it change your life, which I know for many of us, we've had moments. It might have been a moment when you came to Christ. It might have been a moment around confirmation. It might have been a retreat you went on. It might have been something where you had a moment and God broke in and you felt change in your life. But I want you to raise your hand if you are perfect right now. Which means every one of us still needs what? Change, holiness, righteousness. We still need to be moving toward being like Jesus. So here's my question. Is the teaching of Jesus changing your life presently? Because that's the litmus test. If you want to know whether or not your faith is having an impact one of the biggest questions you can ask is, is the teaching of Jesus changing your life? And I think we have three responses, right? Number one, white noise. You come here on Sunday, and I absolutely know that for some of you, I am white noise. (laughs) Those of you laughing, you must be the first ones. All right, Mike and Dana. (laughs) White noise. Um, You hear the teaching, and it somewhat goes in and goes out, and just, it's almost like, you know, that response I have to my wife. Huh? Number two, and this is a little bit more sinister. It's a little bit like white noise, but it's something that I believe Christians do, including myself. Jesus is already so much like me that I don't have a whole lot of change to make. He already agrees with so many things that I think and believe and 
that I don't really need to make that much change. I wouldn't say that. But that's how I act. He's already on my side. And by the way, he is on your side. But he doesn't always believe what we believe. He doesn't always think and act as we do. And yet, so often we think that way. And, and I can't, oh man, I saw this great example this week of this. Um, so there's a pastor. His name is Eli um, Regal, Regadolo. I mispronounced that. Um, his name is Eli. Eli. He's a pastor who began to sell cryptocurrency. And his main targets were Christians in the Denver area. Um, he is now being sued um, because he took a whole bunch of people's money. Almost $3.2 million worth. Um, this is what the Colorado Securities Commissioner said in a statement. We allege that Mr. whatever his last name is, took advantage of the trust and faith of his own Christian community and that he peddled outlandish promises of wealth to them when he sold them essentially worthless cryptocurrencies. Here's the response of the pastor. Are you ready? The Lord said, I want you to build this. And we took God at his word and sold cryptocurrency with no clear exit. Later on, in a video message, he confirmed not only that they had made over a million dollars, but they spent a few hundred thousand dollars to remodel their home because the Lord told them to do it. And finally, he said, God is in the business of doing new things. And he did this, he told us to do this. And when investors got upset, his response was this. To the investors, by the way, Christian people in the Denver area, quote, stop being ruled by mammon, money. Remove all the negative talk from our community. And here's the one thing that he said. Perhaps I misheard God. You think? <laughs> now, I don't think any of us would be quite that bold. But this is the second response to the teaching of Jesus. God's on my side. God already believes what I believe. I don't really need to be challenged or changed. And then there's a third. Change. That the way that people responded to the teaching of Jesus, we respond to the teaching of Jesus. Not as white noise, not as I already got this, but as Lord, I'm ready to be challenged. Lord, what do I need to hear from you? Lord, how can my life be different because of you? I once challenged a congregation and I would challenge the same thing to you all. If you just took even one thing even from a Sunday morning, and you went home, and throughout the week, you went, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to try to make this one change in my life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be intentional. And I'm going to try to make this one change in my life. And you did that 52 times in a year. How much more change would be in your life than there currently is? I honestly don't believe you need to go and read four chapters of Scripture every single day get 20 lessons, and make giant change all the time. I think you need to take one step at a time. 
But if you are not being challenged, which means you're being changed by the teaching of Jesus, you need to reevaluate what you're doing with your faith. Now, here's one way. Look what happens in this text. Back in Mark, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the demons say, the Holy One of God. All right, so this man is possessed, um, and there are multiple demons inside of him. And they respond to the teaching of Jesus by standing up and going, are you going to destroy us? Because they know they can't stand against him. And Jesus says, be quiet and come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, and it came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they started asking each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him, and news spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Here is one thing that you see Jesus doing. Remember, he just talked about the kingdom of God coming. This is the exercise of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the power of God to overcome evil, overcome sin. It is the power of God to bring healing and to bring peace. Jesus is exercising the power of God right now in this man's life. Do we exercise the power of God in our life and in the lives of others? Is God working through us to fight evil? Working through us to overcome sin. Working through us to bring peace to people. Working through us to overcome the big picture, some aspect of the fall. Everything that has gone to crud because of sin that Christ is redeeming. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Because God wants to redeem everything. Are we a part of that? And I'm going to tell you two ways you can do that, okay? Two ways the kingdom of God can work through us. Two ways you can exercise faith to bring peace, to bring healing, to to make change in the world. Number one, and this is the bigger picture. If there is not a single nonprofit that you are supporting that you are giving time or money or energy or something to, you should. Find something that is making a difference in the world that you couldn't do on your own. Maybe it's hunger. Find something that, that touches your heart that you want to see because of the result of sin. It has changed our world, and you want to see that change. You want to see redemption there. And then do something about it. Find that group and somehow give Number two, your own personal life. Make sure I'm not white noise right now. You have an opportunity for your faith to make a difference in your life, to make a difference in the life of the people around you, whether that is family or friends or coworkers. You have an opportunity for the love and grace and peace and life of Christ to be spoken and acted. And isn't it interesting in the life of Jesus here? He not only teaches, but he also acts. He speaks, and things are happening, and change is happening. 
We can do that. When we decide, I want to intentionally think about others. And I want to think about them in the ways where I go, I want their life to be better. I want to speak forgiveness into somebody's life. I want to be the bigger man or the bigger woman in this argument. I am paying enough attention to notice that person's head is down and they don't look right. And I'm going to be the one that walks over there, even though I don't have time right now. I wonder a little bit if one of you stood up in the middle of one of my sermons and started mouthing off. If I'd be like, wait a minute, this is God working. That's what Jesus did. Or I'd be like, oh, I wish they'd stop and sit down. I got important stuff to do. Will we notice that other person and take the time to go do something? So I I believe it is unlikely that any of us, at least 90% of us, are probably going to see somebody filled with demons anytime soon and exercise the demons out of that person. And yet... How many of us have symbolic demons all over us? Things we struggle with, whether it's past or or circumstances or people that that impact. How can we help others with that? Um, I'll give you just a a very simple story. Um, Leslie Wagner, she lives in Arkansas, Peel, Arkansas. I've never heard of Peel before, but she lives in Arkansas. Um, she was at a supermarket. She had brought her groceries up. They were being tallied. All she had was cash. And it was $12 over. So she began to remove items from the bag. When she did that, another shopper offered her a $20 bill. She said, please don't put yourself out like that. It's okay, I can put this away. And he said, let me tell you a story. My mother is in the hospital with cancer. I visit with her every day and bring her flowers. I went this morning, and she got mad at me for spending my money on more flowers. She demanded that I do something else with my money. So here, please accept this. It is my mother's flowers. That is a moment of redemption for both people. That's a moment where somebody said, I am going to pay attention and I'm going to do something about what I see. And partly because somebody else told me to pay attention. That is what it takes. Will we pay attention, be willing to sacrifice, and even just do small things to make a difference because we are loved by the Lord. Because he's already given us grace. And because we want to change Please don't judge me right now. But my five-year-old has two iPads and a cell phone. Now, they're hand-me-downs in my defense. And he has a plug for all three of them because he needs to have all of them. And all three of them are plugged in all the time now. None of them get unplugged. Not only that... But he has also decided that he wants a computer. And so he's asking for a computer, and he tells us where the computer is. The computer is in the future. And we're supposed to go to the future and get it for him. 
And if you ask him, what are you going to do with the computer when you get it, guess what he will tell you? I'm going to charge it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got this down. My son is a collector of electronics with the sole purpose of charging them, <laughs> not doing anything with them. Please don't be a collector of spiritual things. Don't just recharge and recharge and recharge. We got to do something, church. Our faith needs to make an impact in us and in everybody around us that we get the privilege of being with because God's kingdom can work through us for them and for us and for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son who loved us so much that he gave his life. Lord, his teaching was so impactful to the people who heard it. For all of us, please help us reevaluate the way we are listening to the teaching of Christ. Because it can be authoritative and life-changing and inspiring when we will give it its due. Let us be changed people, Lord, every day for you, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.